a fashion designer, make fear in anything, make fear your friend. Every single time something scary happens, you have to take a calculated leap of faith. You have to move forward. People can actually attend the chef curated experience where you can actually sort of be part of a, an underground dinner or a tasting menu. I wanted to find a way to give back and hopefully inspire action. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We just heard from some fantastic guests. We'll have more coming up on Passage to Profit. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Tonight we have with us Nancy Volpe Beringer, who's a fashion designer. She has also been on Project Runway. She's a designer and she specializes in one-of-a-kind wearable art. And for our executive spotlight this evening, we have Emmy Award winner Carrie Barrett, and she's going to be interviewing Rachel Durkin from Paradigm Marketing and Design. And we have two excellent companies presenting. I'm so excited. One is very yummy. I am so sick of eating dull home cooked food. And Vidya Subramanian has a solution for that with her company Zymo. And our next company is Global Angel. And it's just like, this is just wonderfully sweet people helping people. So stay tuned. They can describe things much better than I. Before we get there, let's talk about IP in the news. Who's up first? Cisco versus Centripetal Networks. Oh, yes. The famous Cisco versus Centripetal Networks case. So well, 1.9 billion. Yeah. Well, that's a significant return on investment for probably about $70,000 worth of patents. So The story on this one is that Centripetal Networks went to visit Cisco, and Cisco is a big software company. I think everybody's heard of them. They're kind of in the background. They do networking technology. Anyway, Centripetal went and visited Cisco and trying to get hired by Cisco. They gave them a bunch of technical information, and guess what happened? Cisco stole it and used it in their own products. How did you guess that? So it's really, (laughs) (laughs) you cheated, you read beforehand. (laughs) So anyway, so Centripetal Networks, of course, uh, found out about this. They sued Cisco and they ended up with $1.9 billion on the four patents. And a very ticked off judge. Yeah. And (laughs) really, that's kind of the funny part about this because they went through all the documents that Centripetal gave Cisco and they found them in Cisco's company and they were clearly being used to rip off centripetal networks. So the moral of the story is not that anybody would steal, but get patents on your stuff and you can win a lot of money in court if somebody steals it. And I think that's a very good moral. So the ROI on those patents was huge. It was phenomenal. Next, we'll talk a little bit about trademarks. So if you are picking a trademark for your company, just be careful what it sounds like in another country if you want to go international. Do you have an example of that? I do. <laughs> in Mexico, you can buy bimbo donuts. Of course, in the U.S., bimbo has a completely different connotation. I don't know what it means in Spanish, but it's obviously okay there. So just be careful. And Richard had pointed out earlier, like sometimes people will change their trademark. That's exactly the situation. If you plan to go international, you have to take into account what your trademark means in foreign countries. And sometimes that can be kind of tough because there's a lot of countries and it can be expensive to do like a super duper marketing approach if you're going to go global, but it's something to think about. Uh, That brings back the story of the Chevy Nova. In Spanish, Nova means no go. And for years, (laughs) this was, yes, for a car, that's a really bad name. And so for years, this was sort of the textbook example of making sure that you get your international stuff right. Yeah, so let's hear what our guests today have to say. Let's do Richard's Roundtable. Yes, welcome to Richard's Roundtable, everybody. And uh, we'd love to hear your opinion on these stories or if you have a question about intellectual property send it our way. So Nancy? Your topic really hit home with me because as a fashion designer, we have a lot of challenges with copyright and trademarks because getting a patent, you really can't get one for your design. And so you open up the world to being knocked off. Um, You can maybe copyright a pattern, but you can take somebody else's design, take it from the store. And if you change just a few little items, it's gone. And also you start out with not a lot of money as a emerging fashion designer. So to be able to take anyone to court really would be quite difficult. 
Sure. Have you had that experience yourself where you've had your designs knocked off? No, but what I'm working on right now, which I guess we'll talk about later with my adaptable website, I want designers to knock this idea off. I want designers. <laughs> I really, I will consider myself a success if designers start knocking off my idea to make their garments more adaptable. That's a very positive way to look at it. So, Why not? Carrie, do you have any thoughts or questions? Yeah, I'm going to be the lowest common denominator here and go for the easy joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm wondering how they sell the bimbos. Like, how exactly does that play out? Is it you like buy six and you get one free? Because, like, does it depend on how long it takes you to eat them? Like, I, that's what I'm going for. And I, the intellectual property thing got lost for me. <laughs> I was focused on the donuts for more than one reason. Mostly, I haven't eaten breakfast today. <laughs> Rachel? Well, Carrie's jokes were much more appropriate than the ones that I was thinking of. <laughs> so this reminds me of a case study we always look at in marketing from 1999 when Chevrolet had their Nova and they rolled it out in Mexico and Nova literally means no go. So it I don't know about the trademark issue, but it was a marketing disaster. So our rule when we're doing international marketing is to always do something in the first language get a translator and then get a second translator to translate it back and make sure that it has the appropriate name and language associated with it. So you have like the two phone telephone going on. That sounds perfect. Vidya? The thing that comes to mind is I think there is a really old song by Jim Reeves called Bimbo. It may even be a children's song. I'm just wondering how the meaning of the word has evolved over the decades, right? I find that very intriguing. In terms of Zimo, it's, it's pronounced Zimo, by the way, it's actually a Greek word, which means dough. So we did extensive research before we came up with the name. We wanted something catchy. So I would underscore everything you guys said about how important branding and trademarking and protecting your IP is. And the whole global thing is, is really critical too. <laughs> Absolutely. Amber? I just have to say thank you for explaining what that word was. Because when I was in Mexico, I saw it everywhere on billboards. And I was like, what is going, where am I? <laughs> so I'm glad I know what that is. And as far as the Cisco thing is, my only comment is it's just such a lack of integrity. Right. Yeah. I just had a quick question for Richard in terms of the litigation process for all these types of things. I'm assuming that it probably takes a significant amount of money to fight someone who's actually stolen some trademark or intellectual property from you. And the bigger the firm is that you're going up against or the entity against, it probably gets more cost effective. So I just was curious about what that process looks like. And then do you feel that there are some entities that feel like they can just get away and steal on purpose because they're too big and they feel like they would not be touchable by a smaller person who might not have the resources to fight for their intellectual property back? First of all, it's easier now for small inventors, small companies to enforce their intellectual property than it was 10 or 15 years ago. If it's a big case and you're a small plaintiff taking on a large company and the case is strong enough, you can get investors to fund the legal fees to pursue the litigation. So you can get several million dollars put up by Wall Streeters or other investors to finance the lawsuit. And then they obviously get a piece of it if it settles or it's successful. And then you have the other side of the coin. Lots of times, smaller companies, smaller entities don't want any legal fees at all. So it's just a question of sending them a cease and desist letter and having a discussion and everybody just kind of figures out a solution. It doesn't always have to resort to litigation. A lot of intellectual property is valuable from the time that it's filed and it's published because people see it and then they realize, oh, somebody's got a patent, so I'm going to go do something different. So it does have a lot of deterrent effects, but financing litigation is definitely easier now than it was in the past. I think uh, everybody says, well, I don't have enough money to sue. Well, really the value of your patent or your trademark is it gets put into the patent and trademark system. And then somebody searching for a name will see that trademark. And if they've got a responsible attorney or they're a responsible person, they say, oh, somebody's already got that mark. I'm going to pick something else. And so that's where like 80% of the value comes from, not from going to court. So now, now, <laughs> I am so excited <laughs> to hear from our guest, Nancy, and just the incredible things she's doing with her website and her designs and everything. Nancy Volpe-Beringer is a fashion designer of a couture brand. 
I'm not really sure what a couture brand is. Nancy, I hope you'll explain it to us. But she started her brand at the age, correct me if I'm wrong, at the age of 58. Is that right? I actually went to school. I left my job, my big job at age 58 and enrolled in a three-year fashion graduate program at 58. So you started at 61. 61, yes. That is a real inspiration. Talk about course correction. and But you've since won a number of awards. That's really awesome. And you've been on Project Runway, too. And your latest project is developing fashion-safe masks for the pandemic that match your outfit. So that's a really neat concept too. So the first question we're all dying to hear about is what made you change careers at age 58 and start a new business that at was, 61? That was pretty brave, Nancy. I gotta tell you. <laughs> Most people are looking forward to retirement <laughs> at that point, right? The crazy thing is I've had so many different careers. I always loved a job that I didn't know how to do. Like I would apply for a job, get it, and then have to figure out, okay, how do I do it? So I I loved the learning process, but the common thread was I got to be creative. And whether it was creating a spreadsheet, a business plan, in a big gala event, it was always creating. Then what happened, I kept going up the ladder and I got to that point where I had a much sought after promotion that I tried twice to get. It would give me financial security. And as a single parent, years before working four or five jobs, this was a big deal. I got it. Creativity went away. I started suffocating. I started to suffocate because I could no longer create. And I didn't understand. I didn't understand that need to create. And uh, that was when I knew I had to make a change. Well, good for you. Are you happy you made the change? Yes. And it's interesting because when you say passage to profit, it's how you define profit. And so for me, the financial security is one way to define profit. And for me, the value and what I'm able to do now with entering the world of design, being a relevant designer, doing good things, inspiring people, that to me is something you can't put a value on. So yes, even in this crazy world, I'm happy. I'm always curious, and I know this is a little bit of number crunching, but did you have money saved up? Like, how did you support yourself starting something brand new from ground zero? You know, when Richard started his law firm, Gearheart Law, We had some money saved up that we used to live on for a while, right? Because you don't start making money the first day. That's a really good point because I want people to understand, you know, you can follow a dream and I was able to do that. And this was a dream I didn't even dare to dream. It was a fantasy that I never truly acknowledged, but I had lived a conservative, financially conservative lifestyle. So for my first job out of high school, I didn't go to college. I hated school. I went to work. And for that first year of my $125 gross salary, I took a savings bond out every paycheck. And I started saving so that I could have at the end of the year or so enough money to go get an apartment. And so I've always lived that way. I've saved and saved, contributing to my 401 at the maximum level, um, working the extra jobs. So when I made this decision, I had a nest egg. So I was able to take, and it was my life savings, and I didn't take sick days and vacation days. So I was able to walk away with an additional amount, and I used those life savings to enroll in school. And then while I was at school, I also did graduate uh, assistance. Even though I was 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week for school, it was another 10, 20 hours to help pay for some of my tuition and to give me a stipend. You are a wonderful example of an entrepreneur because part of having a successful business is knowing how to manage the money, right? And this is a trait that you've had for a long time. And a lot of people need to learn that because the numbers don't lie. The numbers tell you what you got or what you don't have. And it seems like you're really strong at that. So what did people around you say when you decided to take this leap? Well, while all this was happening, I also, I'm trying to think of the timing of it. I got married. So when you talk about bait and switch, (laughs) here I am, because here I was a successful executive working a lot of hours, but still had time to go play some golf. That's how I met my husband on a golf dating site. I had, you know, a nice life. So then with his support, I left that and disappeared. And what's really funny is that when I started researching, when it was at 3 a.m. in the morning, when I asked myself this question that changed my life, and I started looking for a school, I got so excited when I found a one-year program, one of the top fashion schools in the world, in New York. And I rushed home on the train. I'm at the bar where we would have our dinner. And I said, I found a one-year program. I could be a fashion designer in a year. 
He's a lot of nicknames. And he said, calm down, fireball. (laughs) (laughs) He says, calm down. He says, I thought you're doing this for the love of learning. Why are you rushing the learning? One of the best pieces of advice, because I have a goal, I now have to meet it. So I found a one-year path to do that. It would not have worked. I then enrolled in a three-year program. And I say to my husband, how do you like that? I finally listened to you. And <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so and I'm not around. <laughs> so I want to see what Kenya has to say about this. I appreciate your drive and your ambition. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just one of those lifelong learners. I like to learn everything. What advice would you give to people who want to pursue a career or a passion in fashion right now? Like if you had to go back and do anything differently, what are some of the things that you've learned and what would you do different? One of the things advice I would give, and apparently I've done this my whole life, again, not knowing it on the show, one of the judges, Elaine Welteroth has a book. And I remember her promoting the show and she was talking about this older contestant that's going to be very inspirational. And she said about, she's fearless. And she said, it's really important to make fear your friend. And as a fashion designer, make fear in anything, make fear your friend. I have garments behind me. The only way I created them was not being afraid. In school, they could take a garment and the professor rip it in half, turn it upside down. And instead of freaking out, it was a way to learn more. So that would be one thing. Make fear your friend. Don't be afraid to try. And my biggest mistakes actually have become in designing some of my best results. Another great thought. So what's in the pipeline now? I'm really excited about what's in the pipeline for me in that I am creating a platform of resale high-end designer pieces that are adaptable. And by adaptable, I mean taking a garment and making it adaptable for a disabled person who have unique needs. And this doesn't exist in the world of fashion on this type of platform. That's great. So where did you get the idea for this and how did you implement it? Well, I first got introduced to adaptive design while I was in school. And I said, this is something I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a relevant designer. I created children's wear look using adaptability. Then on Project Runway, I got to design for Paralympiad Tatiana McFadden, a wheelchair user. That's when I knew I was on Project Runway for a reason. And it was to follow this passion of adaptability. My collection on Project Runway finale was the most adaptive and inclusive design ever presented on Project Runway. I had a wheelchair user. I had a woman with a prosthetic limb. So when I left Project Runway, that's the direction I knew I wanted to go. And then the pandemic hit. We were talking earlier about this whole new push for people to have their websites so that disabled people, whatever their disability is, are able to see their websites and understand and actually use them. But you've gone way beyond that with your website. (laughs) Can you talk about that a little? Well, once we decided to create this website that'll resale pieces, but make them adaptable, uniquely adaptable per client, I also said I wanted to make the website inclusive. And one is for somebody with colorblind. So This week, I have a new intern and she's been researching the best colors to use. We've also researched how to make some of our tags for blind using Braille. So we're really trying to be all-inclusive in every which way. Yesterday, we were talking about on our Zoom call, having somebody that's hearing impaired signing our Zoom and our launch. Uh, So we're really asking ourselves every type of question possible. And I know there's going to be more to answer. I think this is really exciting. And I'm so glad that you're blazing the trail for these kinds of websites and these kinds of products. I think it's one of the best things anybody can do. How can people find you and find your products? It's very easy. NancyVoltbyBarringer.com on Instagram at NancyVoltbyBarringer. Email info at NancyVoltbyBarringer.com. Great. Well, you're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be back right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhardt Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent 
London Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we're on to the executive spotlight portion of our show. We have Carrie Barrett from Carrie Barrett Consulting. Hi, Carrie. Hi, thank you for having me. This is always such a fun time. You guys are the best. Who do you have with you today? Well, I have the lovely and talented Rachel Durkin. She is the president of Paradigm Marketing and Design. And this comes with a disclaimer. I use them. I think they're amazing. And I think Rachel is fantastic. But I'll let her introduce herself and her business to you and to the audience. Hey, Rachel. Hello, Carrie. And everybody, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So as Carrie mentioned, I'm Rachel Durkin. My company is Paradigm Marketing and Design. We are a web branding and marketing agency. We specialize in working with two different industries, one being nonprofit and the second being anything that has a complex sale. So if you're not selling a widget, that's you're going to sell 10,000 of in a day and it requires a human to close the deal or some sort of professional service in order to explain something to your audience in an intelligent way, we can help you with your marketing strategy. She makes even me sound smart, which is like quite a feat. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good on your feet. She's like, don't say that, Carrie. Say this instead, right? We'll be <laughs> smart no matter what the challenge is. So, so you know, Rachel has built this incredibly successful business and she has a team of people that work around her. But I think one of the cool things that she's very real about, like, in the beginning, it was a struggle and this is what I learned and this is what, you know, kept me up at night and, and here's where we are now. And they've had enormous success over the past 12 months. You want to dive a little bit into that? Our success or my terrible fears? All, all of the above and the success you found, especially over the past 12 months. Talking about the last 12 months during COVID, I actually think, and this sounds terrible, it was one of the best things that ever happened to our company because we were getting complacent. As we were growing, we were growing like a steady pace. But as I brought on new talent, as we had more people join us, things became a little bit too easy. And it wasn't kind of, you know, back to the two-year mark or the three-year mark when everything was hard all the time. And there's nothing like a little bit of fear to get your operations in order, get your processes in order, make some changes in order to grow quickly. So Nancy mentioned earlier being friends with fear. That's exactly what motivated me to keep moving going back prior to this past year, what were those big moments that you perhaps had failure in and then you learned from? There were so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of them early on, honestly, was this concept of head trash. As an entrepreneur, I think you become very comfortable being afraid. Now I'm kind of, I'm always afraid, but I'm immune to it. Or, you know, if they say bravery is not the absence of fear, it's just overcoming it. I think I've become much braver. So I remember hiring my first employee and being terrified, like, oh my gosh, somebody's mortgage depends on this business being successful. That was terrifying. But now, now I'm just like, oh yeah, okay, go ahead and hire them and give them benefits. <laughs> you know, it's kind of become, I've become numb to it, but then also confident. But something that someone said to me once, it was a business coach. He said, Rachel, you can't get to second base with your foot still on first. And I tell myself that advice every single time something scary happens. You have to take a calculated leap of faith. You have to move forward. So some of the specific things that I have found fearful was certainly uh, every time I had to ever up level, every time you have to hire, every time you have to buy office space, every time you're committing to something that's going to be an amount of money that you're not sure you're going to have later. So I started this business at 25 I basically had no idea what I was doing. I still have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just really good at figuring things out, I think. <laughs> but when you, when, and this might be anybody, but there's insecurities for everyone. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made because of my own fear and my lack of confidence at the time was I didn't ever want to hire people smarter than me. You know, I wanted to make sure that I knew what was going on and that people were coming to me for advice. And I didn't, I didn't want anybody to see what was under the hood. And when I finally realized, it was probably year two or three, maybe three or four, actually, it took a little while. When I finally realized that I need to hire people smarter than me and surround myself with people smarter than me, that's when the business took off. I make it a point now to never be the smartest person in the room. I want to be like the least smartest person in the room on something because having people smarter than you and 
bringing them together and getting them to look towards a common goal is exactly how you're going to get your business moving, whether it's contractors or employees or strategic partnerships, you always want to be the least smartest person in the room. Those are words to grow on people. Okay. I really love what you're saying, Rachel, because it's a very practical view of what it's like to be a CEO. And Mm -hmm. I can empathize a lot with a lot of your comments. And sometimes I find it interesting how people who aren't so used to the business world, they talk about their passion. And I think you have to do something that you love, but you're not going to love doing it every day. What you get into it for in the beginning is different from where you are now and the types of things that you have to do. So I was just wondering your take on those thoughts. That's such a good point. So I have a background in marketing. I have an MBA. I worked in pharma. I worked in nonprofit. I didn't have any web development or graphic design experience. And I ended up going back to school for web and graphic design. And I really, really loved it. And I started this business. It actually started as a website company because I liked designing websites. The last time I designed a website (laughs) was a very long time ago. I, you know, now actually when I code, my developers like, stop it. You code like an old person. You're not allowed to do it anymore. Like, <laughs> I actually get yelled at because it's been like five or six years since I've been up, you know, I've updated my coding skills, but I started the business because I loved something. And when you're an entrepreneur, you have to end up doing what the business needs. And I still love what I do every day, but it's very different than what I did last year. It's very different than I did five years ago. It's very different than what I did when I started this business. And I had coaches, you'll hear me talk about coaches and masterminds a lot because I'm constantly trying to surround myself with people, like I said, smarter than I am. But a coach once said to me, think of your role in your business. You have a Venn diagram in the one circle is what the business needs. And in the second circle is what you're good at. And in the third circle is what you like doing. Now, the goal is, is to always be in the center, something that requires all three of those things. Now, when you start your business, you can't do that. You have to do all of it. (laughs) You don't have a choice, but as I've grown, My goal is to always be right in the middle. I only want to do what I'm good at. I only want to do what I like. You know, I want to do what the business needs. Now, usually when there's like a major growth, when we have major growing pains or a major level up or we're making a major shift, acquiring someone or whatever, I have to get out of that comfort zone and that circle and that's okay. But you always want to make an effort to hire around that and stay in that circle as best you can. And so your job will evolve. You know, it went from designing and coding every day to marketing consulting to being a manager to having to deal with HR compliance and employment law in 12 different states to the next thing and the next thing. So really you have to just make sure that you're adjusting your work. You're not going to do what you initially loved, but if you're passionate about the business as a whole and the people you work with, you're always going to love what you do. That's great. Carrie, we have time for one more question. My next question was going to be, Rachel, give me your sort of top three tips for entrepreneurs. You gave one there. Can you give us two more? I think the first one is definitely, I'm going to repeat it because it changed my life is you can't get to second base with your foot still on first. You have to take calculated risk. The Venn diagram, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. But then I'm also going to say, always look at what you can do differently. So I always tell my team this, you might have like a challenging client or a bad situation. And it's really easy to say, well, that didn't work out because of them, or that didn't work out because of this happened. I really believe that I can only change what I can change. I can only change my behavior. So when something goes wrong in our company, we usually do a meeting. We're not pointing fingers. We're not blaming. We're saying, what could I or we have done differently? Because you can only look back and figure out how you can change a circumstance for the next time. So what I would leave you with is always look at what you can change, evaluate things that went wrong and things that went right. And look at what you did to control the situation, because you can always adjust your behaviors, but you can't control everything else. So that would be my last tip. Perfect. And a disclaimer, she's never the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be in the middle somewhere. <laughs> and where can we find you, Rachel? And where can we find you, Carrie? Rachel, go first. Okay, great. Paradigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M dash M-D for marketing and design.com. And my email is rjdurkin at paradigm dash M-D.com. And my website is Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, Barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T. Surprisingly, lots of people don't know how to spell that. CarrieBarrettConsulting.com. You can email me, Carrie, at CarrieBarrettConsulting.com. And you can also find me on all of the social media platforms. Right now, I'm trying to grow my YouTube audience. So feel free to subscribe. That would be great. Carrie Barrett Consulting. Yes, definitely go to Carrie's YouTube because she is really a dynamic speaker and it's fun to watch her speak. So you are listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show. 
show on WOR 710, The Voice of New York. If you've missed anything so far, we've just had a wonderful chat with lots of great advice for entrepreneurs. Our podcast will be out tomorrow, and we have a YouTube channel, too. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now it's time for Kenya Gibson from iHeartRadio talking Power Move. So Kenya, who do we have today? For Power Move today, we're going to be talking about Kalani Jasmine. She's actually the general partner at Black Tech Nation Ventures. And basically what Black Tech Nation Ventures does is they supply education content and communication in communities of color in regards to tech. Well, she recently raised $50 million along with her partners, Sean Sebastian and David Motley. And they were part of this venture. And one of the things I say that I love about this is this is not a black thing or a white thing. Like this is a diverse group of people who got together and raised all this money because they believe in the transfer of knowledge into the world of tech and empowering creators and entrepreneurs because we all benefit at the end of the day. So I just wanted to highlight her and I wanted to highlight her efforts and the efforts of her general partners in raising that much money and creating opportunities and historic change and real generational wealth building opportunities and communities that may not have opportunities. So shout out to her. Yep. Everybody here is nodding their head in agreement, Kenya. So I think that's the right way to go. And it's a fantastic project. So we really wish her the best success possible. And it's funny because some people who've never been introduced to tech, like our son took biochemistry in college and got a tech master's, loved it. And he's like, why didn't I do this before? And so if people see it as intimidating or something that's just this type of person does it and it's not for me, they may just blow everybody else out of the water. They don't know until they try it. So it's awesome that you're encouraging that for everybody. So true. So thank you for that. And now it's time to turn to Elizabeth and her Fireside Venture. Elizabeth, what's been going on with Fireside Directory? Well, Fireside is a video directory of small businesses. I have a YouTube channel and a website and I'm I'm doing some website maintenance now. I want to make sure it's American with Disabilities Act compliant. Why is that? Because in October, a blind person tried to order Domino's pizza and had trouble with their website and took them to court. And the Supreme Court took the case and ruled that- Of the United States? Of the United States and ruled that a website is like a public access. It's like a public restroom. It's like a restaurant. And so if you don't have your website set up for people with disabilities to use, you're violating the Americans with Disability Act. Hmm. And if you get sued, you will lose. And I mean, it just kind of makes sense though, doesn't it? Because, you know, as Nancy was saying, disabled people are normal people. Why couldn't we make things so they can use them too? And so there are certain things that you need to do with your website so that disabled people are able to use it. So I'm going to look at that before I really do much more with it. I do want to add that making your website accessible is just good business. Making it easier for anybody to find your services just makes good business sense. I'm concerned that my site needs to be more ADA compliant. I'm going to be working on that, but I'm still doing interviews with business owners and I'm still putting them on my YouTube channel. And then when my website's ready, I've told them, then we'll put you on the website. So that sounds great. Yeah. So I can hardly wait to hear from Vidya Subramanian with Zimo. This is something that I think is such a great idea. So I'm just going to let you explain it. So welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been fantastic and very relatable. You know, Nancy was talking about a major career switch and I've done the same thing. I spent more than 20 years in financial services, working for large banks in tech and running large mandates. And then two years ago, I became an entrepreneur. So a lot of learnings for me and especially in food tech. What Simo is, is essentially it's a marketplace. 
and the community that's going to connect foodies directly with chefs. So eating out industry is a $380 billion industry annually just in the U.S. We all spend so much money eating out, but majority of that is going to restaurants and other establishments. And that's what we want to disrupt. So if you're looking for a private chef today, how do you do it? Word of mouth, call your friends, Google. Call a caterer, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> right. So that's what we want to change. We're a marketplace that wants to bring these chefs directly to the foodies. So whether it's an experience you're looking to create for you and your partner at home, a romantic dinner, or you're having a party. And we also want to create these experiences where people can actually attend a chef curated experience where you can actually sort of be part of an underground dinner or a tasting menu location to be revealed later on. There's also a perception that things like this are only affordable to the wealthy. And that's another mission of ours. So we want to empower chefs and we want to democratize amazing food so everybody can enjoy. I mean, I just think that sounds so great. Like I would love to, I mean, Richard and I have tried to do that in the past and we could never really find the right fit, right? Because say we're going to have a dinner party of six people. I don't want to be cooking the whole time and he doesn't want to be. So we want a chef that will come into the house and cook for six people. And this sounds like a great idea. I can see Nancy is full of ideas. (laughs) Talking about past careers, I used to own a little bar and restaurant and I am a foodie. My husband's not, but I have my foodie little gang. I've missed that so much during the pandemic. So I'm just, I want to leap out into this screen and like, I I, want to access your uh, site And I think it's an amazing idea. We had an early company, you know, we've just been around for about 15 months and I'll put a plug in here that we are fundraising. And one of the questions I constantly get asked is, if you had started something in fintech, I would write you a check right now. Why did you go from, you know, financial services all the way to food industry. So that's one question I get all the time. First of all, I'm a foodie myself and I've always been a working parent and I've always felt like I've never had time to cook. I I live in New York and the commutes here are long typically. So by the time I get home, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. And what I found that's interesting, and I'm sure all of you could relate to this. This is something everybody cuts corners on. Even people with means, we cut corners when it comes to food because we're tired. We don't have enough choices. We're just bored with the choice every day. Well, I'll just grab a slice of pizza. I'll just do this, right? We want to change that. I've always felt like, you know, if I had more options for home cooked food or or chefs making these original dishes, that would be a much better way to live. So that's the disruption I wanted to bring in. And I'm sure I can't be the only one thinking that, right? There's many of us that would love to have more options and healthier options to eat. There are meal delivery services we've tried that deliver healthy meals on a regular basis, but lots of times they're frozen. The menu choices aren't great and they don't always use the best quality ingredients. Well, and the sodium is so high in those yeah. things, but I think it's a great idea. So what kinds of food, like do you get chefs that do all a full range of different types of food? Yeah, we're a very inclusive platform, right? And the idea that, Richard, the the one thing that you're talking about, the personalization is the key, right? So Zimo is not a meal delivery platform. We actually don't want to be bundled with like the Uber Eats and the Grubhubs of the world, right? We are a food experience platform. We want to make food an experience, even if it's a simple meal on a Wednesday, a lunch, or a party of six, as you said, right? Every meal should count. And we're in beta. We're live in two cities, Austin and DC. We're looking to grow. We're a very inclusive platform. We have cuisines of all types. But the best thing about Zimo that I think is the dishes are original. You may find a chef who's making tacos, but the secret sauce, you can't find it anywhere else. Like we have a food truck in Austin, which is really popular as an example. So we're very inclusive. It's not tied to a particular cuisine. It's more about the community that you create through food. You know, you get to connect with local foodies. You get to connect with local chefs. How many times do you go to a restaurant and you ask who actually made my food? We don't even meet the person behind the closed doors. That's the new thing about Zimo. So Kenya, do you have a question? Yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how it all works. So I go onto the platform, right? And then I just, so kind of walk me through that, like what that experience is like. Absolutely. So it's an app that you could download from the app store, both for iOS and Android. It's first of all, an open platform. You don't need to divulge anything about yourself. You could just go browse. So as soon as you land, you're going to see all the dishes near you, all the chefs near you and uh, you basically pick okay am I hungry now am I scheduling a meal for next Friday whatever let me go and book it or I want to just book a chef you know because I'm having a party this weekend for the holiday so these are the different choices you have right now on the platform 
And once you decide to do a transaction, that's when, you know, you register your profile, you kind of put your name. And also there's a social media aspect to this, which we haven't built yet. That's the next round of funding we're waiting on. This is where you can actually talk about yourself. You know, you could put hashtags, very Instagram-like, you know, you can follow people, you could have favorites and things like that. And I want to make sure I understood this correctly. You started your business 15 months ago? Yes. I'll ask the standard question, but I'm really curious. That's three months-ish before humans were no longer allowed to roam the earth. So how? <laughs> Man, it was it was harrowing, right? So we, the business. And here's the funny part. It's not so funny, but we started doing the product development in March, April last year. And that's when COVID hit. Everything shut down. And, and it was an interesting time for the restaurant industry because people were trying to figure out okay, no one's going to go out to eat. What does this mean? And we went back into our focus groups, right? We went back and talked to our chefs and foodies and like, should we continue? Should we pause? Should we pull the plug? What should we do? And the response was, you know what? We need this even more now because no one's going to go to the restaurants. And a lot of chefs were scared, you know, about their employment. And that it became true. Tens of thousands of restaurants closed and many of them closed permanently over the last year. Zimo became even more relevant. I just love this idea. Can you please bring it to New Jersey? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. working on it. You're listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor's Show mm-hmm. with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, our special guest, Nancy Volfi Berenger. We will be right back after this message. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, eVine Live and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we've been inventing a lot today, haven't we? Oh, man, we've had a great show. So if you missed it, our podcast comes out tomorrow. And our YouTube channel will have this on it, too. So it's all ladies today, except for Richard. So it's definitely worth well, thanks going for to pointing see, that out. see all these beautiful faces on our YouTube channel, right? So now we have Amber Dawn Chopay with Global Angel. And I have to say, I just love what she's doing. So welcome, Amber. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited and honored to be here. Give us a little description of your company. Global Angel, gosh, it's been in my mind since the 90s and I finally have made it happen. My logo is a heart-shaped globe with wings. And my whole goal is to just promote charity. I'm a nonprofit. And with every purchase, I have a website, globalangel.com. And with every purchase, you get to choose your own charity. And 25% goes to that, not of proceeds, 25% goes to the charity of your choice. And 100% of it is tax deductible. So it's kind of my child. I don't have children. So I wanted to find a way to give back and hopefully inspire action. It's basically purchase with a purpose. And I just love what I do. I'm learning about so many other charities. I'm collaborating with charities now, and it's wonderful. So what kind of things are you selling? I'm selling shirts, sweatshirts, hats, a kind of like cozy stuff during COVID, super, super soft. I use organic and sustainable whenever possible. I'm actually working on a product right now. I'm making a lip balm. I'm also a certified formulator. And so once you finish it, you can plant it and a flower will grow. So I've got a lot of things that I'm working on that I love. Trying to make the world a better place one thing at a time. That's great. So Carrie, any thoughts? I absolutely love that idea. It's innovative. It's for a good cause. What sort of, right? You mentioned you didn't have kids and this was sort of your baby. Has that always been part of who you are? Like you've always volunteered or given back, or that's been a, you know, sort of a cornerstone of who Amber Chopin is. You know, it has been, and I don't think I realized that until lately. You know, when I think about back to my life and what I've done, it's, it just has always been something I've done, whether it's at the, it's, I'm very animal heavy. So it's at any, the local shelter or fostering, or it's just always been a part of it. And it's materialized into something now. We need more of you. 
Oh, what a beautiful thing to say. Thank you. Kenya? Yeah, I just had a question in terms of the other non-for-profit alignments that you have going on. What are some of the initiatives that you're working on and what are you most passionate about in that space right now? Oh, wow. What a great question. Okay. Right now I'm working with Operation Underground Railroad. They save children. I didn't even know that it was so relevant in the United States from sex trafficking and slavery. So I just pitched them three ideas for shirts. And then once we sell the shirts on my website and their website, then all the money goes to them and to saving these and helping these children, bringing them home. So that's the big one right now. This is a very inspiring idea. You know, I think all businesses should look for ways to do something like this. You know, every business has the capability to do some form of giving back. I think it makes good business. I think you can distinguish yourself from other businesses. What you're doing is special. And I think you're giving a lot of people some good ideas and putting positive thoughts out there to really help people. Thank you so much. And one last comment is not only do I have my site online, I also have a mobile truck so I can drive around to different events once we open back up again. But I'm also doing like wrap gifts for movies. So then that company, you know, put their movie name on the front and my tag will be in the back. But then not only is now that company giving back, but it's 100% tax deductible which is why I wanted to be a nonprofit. That's awesome. So Nancy, what do you think? This just resonates with me again, wanting to be relevant, working with charities with my fashion. And so I call on the marketing gurus we have on Curry and Rachel, like how could we expand this idea? You know, when you talk about franchising, but how can you expand this idea of this angel, bring it to other people? So it's something that I could promote or model, do something with it, make it just like this icon, this mission that's shared through so many different platforms. I don't know. It's, it's just like the brain's exploding. There's almost like two different angles you could take this. And I don't know enough about it. So these ideas might be really out of left field, but one, you know, I have a couple of clients in promotional product design and their target audience are corporate companies. And, and, and my days in nonprofit, like what are the goals of corporate companies? Besides they want to be community minded and give back. They also really like the idea of tax deductions, right? <laughs> and so That's when bad. you have these promotional companies, especially now with COVID and our inability, like on rewards trips for sales, you know, major sales teams to be able, and you can't send them to Cancun or Florida anymore. You're sending them packages of things they want and they'll be ordering 10,000, 100,000 of something. What a cost saving for these big organizations to be able to integrate with you and send similar packages, but not, but be able to write them off. I mean, that's like a win-win for everybody. So I see a corporate angle here for sure. I think too, in terms of brand advocacy, I think if you could create that almost like angels here on earth type of effect and find some influencers that you could align with on social media, you could have those be your advocates for what you're doing here and almost creating those those stories and that content where they're actually maybe bringing these care packages to people in real time and you're capturing content and they're sharing it and you're amplifying it other places. So um, that's always just content's always a powerful tool to tell your story. And I think that that could be cool to see and visualize. You can be the conduit without actually doing anything. Like you could bring companies together and allow them to license the logo and the concept and then partner them with charities to do the same. That's what I was thinking. It would be just like, you know, you have the FDA like certified. I'm like an angel certified. Exactly, an angel certified. <laughs> oh my right? gosh. Those are great ideas. Amber Dawn. Where can we find you? My website is globalangel.com. Excellent. Thank you. You are listening to Passage to Profit, the inventor show on (laughs) WOR 710, the voice of New York. We'll be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. I just love it when we get so many great people together. So thanks everybody for joining us. 
But before we go, I'd like to hear from our guests for a few closing remarks. Nancy, what's on your mind? You don't want to know. My, my brain actually is exploding. I'm so enthused. And normally I have a messy bun, so it hides the brain exploding. Right now I'm growing my hair out to donate. This is my COVID hair with three different <laughs> colors. And I'm going to cut it off and donate it at the end of it, uh, whenever that is. But I just want to thank you. And again, just if we just take time to listen and share ideas and again, not wanting to always be the smartest person around surround us. And I feel so surrounded by smart people today. And thank you for, you know, just inspiring me to keep on going. Well, you're inspiring us. That's for sure. And Carrie, what are your parting thoughts? My parting thoughts are this. I feel like I've noticed a little bit of a theme through the stories that everybody has told from Amber Dawn to Nancy to Rachel and certainly to Vidya, the changes that we've all made going from fintech to food service and starting a fabulously successful marketing and design agency and going into design, right? Leaving what you had before and creating this nest egg so that you can fulfill your dreams and find your passion. It's all risk. Every single person here has taken a a calculated, but nonetheless, scary as hell risk to get to where they are. And I feel like that's been sort of a a through line for my career as well. And without having taken those risks, with letting fear dictate our choices, I don't think any of us would be in the positions that we are. And and maybe we want to be somewhere else, but that involves taking another risk. And boy, it is scary, but I love that everybody shared those stories today. Yeah, this is scary, but exciting. Yeah. Right. What would life be without it? And there's risks everywhere, no matter what environment you're in, right? Kenya? So I just want to say I always appreciate being a part of these innovative conversations. I think that this is what this show represents. It's like a mastermind think tank where all creators are welcome. So I, I love what was represented here today and the stories and the creativity. And I learned a lot and got to hear some great stories. So I appreciate being a part of this. Kenya? always says it just right, doesn't she? She's amazing. (laughs) She's tough to beat. So our guest was Nancy Volpe Beringer, and her website is nancyvolpeberinger.com. So that's Nancy, V-O-L-P-E. And the tip of the spear really for accessibility, fashion, and clothing. Oh, she, you know what? This is what I love about this show. We get people that are doing things that are so futuristic and like this is the next step or maybe two steps ahead of where we are now. And I just love it. And then we had Carrie Barrett with CarrieBarrettConsulting.com. And she interviewed Rachel Durkin, who has Paradigm Marketing. And her website is Paradigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M-M-D.com. So if you're looking for super experienced, super good marketing and web design, go to her website. You'll be happy you did. Perry trains people to be in the media and on Zoom. Another incredible person that was on the show, Kenya Gibson, Gibson with a P. You can get a hold of her, Kenya Gibson at iHeartMedia.com. I say this every time. She had the concept for the show. She brought us in. She's been helping us the whole time. She is the most creative person I have ever met in my life. But if you do have a complaint about the show, email them to her. (laughs) (laughs) She is the creator. (laughs) If anything compliments, send them to us. So So she is really good with creative content. So she works with iHeart Media. So if you want to do something with iHeart, they're all over the world. They're kind of a famous organization. Yeah. So get a hold of Kenya. She can help you. And then Vidya Subramanian who has this very cool company and it's called Zimmo, spelled Z-Y-M-M-O and you can find it at Z-Y-M-M-O.com. If you are sick of baked chicken every night or whatever you've been cooking at home. Find a chef today. Find a chef who will like cook you something that tastes really good. So that's her company. And then Amber Dawn Chopay had globalangel.com. And I think this is going to be like this huge global movement where she started a nonprofit just to help other people. And it's fantastic. So look at globalangel.com. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We've had a lot of fun and we hope you join us again next Sunday night. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our producer, Noah Fleischman, our program coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, and our video editor, Angela Wolf. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt signing off for Passage to Profit on iHeartRadio, WOR 710, the voice of New York.